Welcome into the Nuts. I'm Amal Shaw. That is Mike Palm. A huge show on tap today. We have three-time Super Bowl champion from the Dallas Cowboys. Daryl Moose Johnson is going to join us in about seven or eight minutes. But before we have him on board, Mike, big news out of Major League Baseball. Your guy yesterday, Johnny Means Business, delivers a no-hitter and loses a perfect game on a wild pitch in the third inning against the uh, Seattle Mariners. He told the world about it on Behind the Bets. Look out for the double-pitching performance, and Kikuchi was good as well. Look, this is this is remarkable in a couple ways, Amal. Three no-hitters already this season, right? And we're uh, just into May. All three of them, none of them were broken up by error or walk. Yeah. Hit batter, Rondon, hit batter, Musgrove, and now drop third. So it was a wild pitch third strike for Means. I mean, that's pretty incredible. It really is. Usually, you know, you expect a defensive error, maybe a walk along the way. But for him to do that, I'm glad it happened early in the game, so it relieves yeah. a little bit of the stress. But did a tremendous job of slowing down the Mariners' bats. He's been good. He's been good all year. He was great yesterday, locating that fastball up in the strike zone, beating the Mariners' batters, and then keeping keeping that change down. Um, look. Major League Baseball, we talked about the ball. The ball's going to travel as far as the batting average is at an all-time low here. All these guys are concerned with all these analytics and launch angles and spin rate and all this nonsense, and and we're at an all-time low here. Can you account for that when it comes to certain players who maybe are over the hill when an organization doesn't re-sign them? And what I'm referring to is Albert Pujols is going to be released by the Angels. One of the most atrocious signings in the history of baseball. I always thought when Bill Belichick got rid of Richard Seymour, I thought it was a, it signified to me that if a program develops, develops a player and then moves on from him, that's probably your best bet not to bring them on board. And when you look at the Cardinals letting go of Albert Pujols, letting him walk away, I thought the Angels should have heeded that advice. Instead, they signed him to that Albatross 10-year, $240 million deal. Mike, I want to throw out a quick stat for you here before you comment on this. Albert Pujols, in his entire career with the Angels, his first year he batted 285. After that, 258, 272, 244, 268, 241, 45, 44, 24, and 198. He's not even hitting his weight. Well, to your point about Seymour, even more so with Pujols, who was the franchise player there in St. Louis. Absolutely. The cornerstone of what they built there. I mean, Seymour was not the cornerstone. Obviously, Brady was, at least to your argument. Uh, but, to everybody's <laughs> argument. It's to everybody's <laughs> argument, you know. But Pujols, I mean, we always thought Pujols was going to be a guy that hit 315, 310 every year, right? And he's going to hit 40 home runs and, and steal maybe one base. But but certainly the contract was too much. The length of the contract at that stage of his career was too much, which is why I a little bit look at the length of like a Machado contract, right? Or uh, a Hosmer contract. These guys that are in the midpoints of their career, it's tough to sign them to decade-long deals. Well, I still don't understand why they continuously do it. How many mm-hmm. of these bad contracts do you have to see before you continue to sabotage your team for half a decade or more? I mean, what are you going to get at the back end of it is what you have to think about. That's what about. I'm saying yeah. when I say half a decade, right? Mm-hmm. The back end of these deals are going to be horrendous, and you see it with so many teams. I always thought Kershaw was the one pitcher I would say, hey, he's worth signing for six years because of how great he was. But so many of these other guys, it's just not justified. Would you sign Would you sign DeGrom for six years right now? No, not based on age, okay. mm-hmm. right? Because I think DeGrom is about 30 years old. Yep. I think if you look at DeGrom, probably a four-year deal, and I'd rather front-load it. Uh, just financially, it's better off than what you end up paying in the back end of the deal. How many players does it take to see this occur with? And you realize, well, you know, how do you think the Reds got a good? Do you think the Reds got a good return on Joey Votto? No, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, think about this. There's so many players out there that have gotten these deals that you go, "What are you doing?" Well, it's challenging too to to, to live up to the contract because once they get paid the big money, the expectations rise, and it's hard to maintain that level as you age. 
Yeah, Albert Pujols, chances are you're not going to see too many people interested in picking him up. No. Looks like he's going to finish with 667 career homers, 2,112 mm. RBI impressive stats, obviously over 3,000 hits as well. Yeah, he at this point, such a liability on the base path, too, when he does manage to get a hit one out of five times. You know, he's a station-to-station guy. I mean, it takes a ground rule double to get him to third. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, great point you make there in terms of that. I just always thought this was a bad signing, and I'm afraid that the Angels are going to end up wasting the golden years of Mike Trout. Yeah, uh, and how many more golden years does he have left in him? Well, I Four or five? I mean, you can't underestimate his greatness. But to your point, he's a guy, maybe him or a bets they're younger and you sign him these long-term deals, but... I just still thought this was a bad deal when it happened. The Pujols contract has limited them in the ability to get starting pitching, which they have not had since Trout's been there. Absolutely right. Big question marks surrounding what this team's going to do from a pitching perspective if they're going to be competitive moving forward. This is the Nuts. I'm Amal Shaw. That is Mike Palm. A tremendous show coming up in just a few minutes. Former Dallas Cowboy great fullback Daryl Johnson is going to join us, the three-time Super Bowl champion who now works for Fox. You catch him every Sunday. Does a tremendous job. We will get his take on what's going on in Green Bay as well as some of these teams not having a clue that you need an offensive line because they had greatness on the offensive line in Dallas when they were on their run of three Super Bowls in four years. Well, they built that team with an offensive line. Absolutely and, right. And they had the ability to run the ball and they had the ability to keep matchups on the outside with Irvin and Harper at times and then the the uh, undervalued Jay Novacek. Absolutely right. And now we do have Daryl Moose Johnson joining us. So happy. Yet, yet another Syracuse graduate joins the Visa Network for a few minutes here. Although this one actually played a pro sport. And in, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, the first fullback that made a, made, a, made a pro bowl. Moose, glad to have you on. Yeah, good to be on. How you guys doing? We're doing great this morning. Let's start out with the, the draft and the two running backs taken in the first round. Obviously, Harris and Etienne. Which of these two do you think will be more impactful for the team that chose them in their rookie season? I like the fit for Najee Harris in Pittsburgh. Uh, you, know, you saw that pick in a lot of the mock drafts. Uh, made a lot of sense, uh, the style of running and, and what's happened in the running back room for, for Pittsburgh in the offseason. So I, I like the fit there. Um, but I also like ATN. I, I, just, I think you know, when you see the way the league is utilizing those types of running backs that can open formation and become uh, a key asset in the passing game. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be interesting to see what Jacksonville does there with Trevor Lawrence and him together again. So I think they both, uh, I think they both ended up in good spots, but I, I'm, I'm real interested to see, uh, you know, how Najee Harris fits there. Daryl, you guys went a ridiculous 10 and one from 92 to 95 in the postseason, including winning three Super Bowls. and part of your success. Yes, you had the triplets, but yourself and that great offensive line and Jay Novacek, I thought were a little bit underrated in terms of your guys' success. Tell us a little bit about how important, from your perspective, having a great offensive line, and Mike referenced the Steelers with Najee Harris. We were surprised that Penny Sewell didn't go to Cincinnati. I don't think you can have a burrow and build around him if you don't have a great old line And how important is the success and foundation of a team? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Uh, you know, Detroit... We would had to, they were they were ecstatic. You know, I know I know some people uh, with the Lions organization. They were they were ecstatic when Penny Sewell fell to them. Um, was really surprised that Cincinnati didn't didn't pull the trigger there. But I, I understand the Jamar Chase pick. Um, but I think you're exactly right, and I think that that's why you know the Raiders have taken a little bit of criticism for for going Alex Leatherwood at 17. Uh, and I love Mike Mayock's response to that. You know, he's listen. We like the guy. We tried to trade back. We didn't like the value. Uh, you know, we, we felt he wasn't going to be there. 
Uh, I just I think he's got the mentality, and and sometimes if you don't think you're going to have a, an opportunity to get that player again, then believe in what your your board says and and just take him. So I love I love uh, Mike Mayock's you know responses when everybody questioned his his choice there, uh, maybe being a little bit early. But but you've got to build that offensive line. That that's what our teams were all about. Um, you know we we could run the football, we could throw the football. You know things were built off of our running game and play action. Uh, you know we were going to force you to make decisions. Um, you know, we ran into heavy boxes, too. I mean, sometimes you, you hear, you know, offensive quarterbacks or uh, offensive coordinators and quarterbacks talk about just the box count, and, and that's kind of the decision-making process of, of you know, you get into these, these run-pass situations and, and the decision at the line of scrimmage. But, you know, we felt very confident running into, you know, equal or even sometimes eight-man boxes, uh, you know, when we had uh, when we had our, our offensive line there. So, um you can have the greatest skilled players in the world. You can have the best quarterback in the world. But if your offensive line can't open up running lanes and pass protect, then all that value gets lost. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, you know, we had an opportunity to work in a couple of the spring leagues here the last few years, and, and the offensive line was always something uh, that, that I was focused on, trying to make sure it was as strong as it possibly could be. We're talking with Daryl Moose Johnson, three-time Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, you hear him during the NFL season on Fox every Sunday as one of their lead analysts. I want to talk about that theme, offensive coordinator. And I've heard you speak about how important North Turner was to the Cowboys, and that's when it really started to turn around when North Turner joined the organization. I want to talk about it in terms of the AFC South this year. Um, obviously, the Colts changing quarterbacks with Phillip Rivers leaving and going with Wentz, uh, realigning him with, with Frank Reich, all the problems in Houston with Deshaun Watson. You've got a rebuilding team, Urban Meyer coming there, of course, uh, getting Lawrence and a lot of optimism there. But but Tennessee, who could have seen in this division right now to take advantage of it, loses Arthur Smith, who becomes the head coach of the Falcons. Arthur Smith, who seemed to be the Tannehill whisperer there and got so much out of Ryan Tannehill where maybe others didn't in Tennessee or in Miami especially. How significant is Arthur Smith's leaving to the success of the Titans this year, and how do you see the AFC South shaping up? Um, I, I, I speak from experience is, is probably a comparison. Um, you mentioned North Turner, and I just I knew how important that relationship for Troy Aikman was. You know, having North Turner. I mean, North presented Troy when he went into the Hall of Fame. You know, they they kind of transcended that player coach relationship and, and just became very good friends, and are still very good friends to this day. Um, you know, not to say that, that Troy didn't enjoy playing with Ernie Zampezi, you know, who's out of that same offense, but but he and Troy just had a very special relationship. Um, you know, I don't know if, if that's what Ryan Tannehill shares with Arthur Smith. I do know that that is what Carson went Carson Wentz shares with Frank Reich. Um, I remember a meeting we had uh, w- with Carson and with Frank when when they were in Philadelphia in 2017. And it, it was uh, it was a very special relationship. And just remember how good Carson Wentz was playing at that time. I mean, he was he was a potential league MVP candidate until he hurt his knee at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, he was playing outstanding. And and I think ever since Frank left, uh, you know, Carson has not played back to that level. So, I, I really expect Carson Wentz to have a, a year that's much similar to 2017 than it is to 2020. So. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on on Jacksonville and and what happens there with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, so you 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 have the upheaval and the uprising in in Houston with Deshaun Watson. You know how does that play out? So yeah, it, it's it's going to be a wide open division um, when you look at the quarterback play and and what's going on there. And and that's why I think that there's a really good chance for for Indianapolis to kind of sneak in there and maybe be a surprise uh, in that division. So. Um, 
it's just one of those it's one of those scenarios that's going to happen during the course of the season that's going to be fun to watch. And and Jacksonville, uh, you know, just naturally the excitement of of you know having the number one overall pick in the draft, having a quarterback there that that people are comparing to a, a John Elway type, an Andrew Luck type. Um, <laughs> some pretty big shoes for for Trevor Lawrence to fill as he starts his NFL career. And uh, you know, I think everybody's excited to see what he does there and and what happens in Houston. Um, we had a, a, a game late in the year where, uh, you know, I watched some Houston tape and I, I did not realize how well Deshaun Watson had been playing at that time through the course of the season. We don't get to see the AFC a whole lot. Um, and the numbers that he put up were just amazing. I mean, is, is he going to be able to come back and, and, and be focused as he was last season on everything that's happened uh, during the course of this offseason and, and be able to play at that level? So I, I think there's some unknowns, uh, obviously, with every team. Um, but really, for me, I, I think the surprising one is going to be Indianapolis. Uh, I, I just think the, the reunion of uh, Carson Wentz and Frank Reich is, is going to pay uh, huge dividends for the Colts. Darrell, let's go to a conference you're more familiar with, the NFC, and particularly the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, a lot of turmoil surrounding Aaron Rodgers' franchise quarterback, but they have only drafted one offensive player in the first round in the last 10 years, and that was a quarterback who's going to back up Rodgers. They've gone defense. The defense has not improved drastically. When you look at his career and what has transpired, I almost look back on it and say they did not maximize what the potential he had for them. And can this marriage be repaired at this point in time, or do they have to go their separate ways? Yeah, gosh. When you look at it and, and you and you realize that that Aaron Rodgers is as well as he has played, uh, and and as much as he's been to that franchise, that he's only been to the Super Bowl one time. Uh, I mean, very close on multiple occasions, but just not able to get over the hump. Um, it, it, it's it's really surprising. Um, you know, I don't know why. You know, there hasn't been more of a focus to to get players around him. Um, you know, when you have you know one of the best quarterbacks to play the position uh, on your roster, you, you would think that the more weapons you get, you know, the more explosive that offense is going to be. And, and I know it's a complimentary game and you're, you're trying to build your team in all three phases, but to your point, you know, in, in 10 years, one first round draft pick is used on the offensive side of the ball. And it's, it's, it's for your future. It's the future quarterback, potentially uh, just an odd decision by the organization. It, now they, they've tried to address it. They've, you know they've they've gone with skill players, but but outside of that first round, and you, you would still think you know second, third, fourth round, you should still be able to find good football players there. Um, and I and I remember there was a there was a focus one year you know at the wide receiver position, um, and and those guys are kind of getting into the rotation now, but I, I'm sure have not performed to the level they thought. Um, so yeah, I I think that there's there's a an understanding of why Aaron Rodgers could be frustrated. Uh, with some of the decisions that are made in the front office, but you know we're, we're seeing this an awful lot. You know, we we saw it with with Russell Wilson in Seattle. We we've heard now Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know Deshaun Watson a little bit. You know earlier in the offseason, you know the quarterbacks that that want more input into the building of the roster. And it's just, in my opinion, um, you know it, that's not their place. You know, it's you stay in your lane. Uh, you know, be the best quarterback you can be. I mean, it, there's casual conversations and things like that, but you know, it, it sounds like more to me that sometimes they're asking for a voice in some of these decisions. Uh, and, and I just, I don't think that they realize how much time and energy is expended uh, on the evaluation of players. And, and they're, they're not going to be able to do both. Um, and, and if you're just kind of weighing in from time to time, I, I don't think, you know, the value of your opinion is going to carry the weight that you think it's going to, 
to carry. So, uh, you know, I just, I, I think that, that that's been the one frustrating thing for me is, is kind of seeing, you know, the, the quarterbacks, you know, a couple of them around the league, you know, requesting more say in the front office decisions. Despite the turmoil in Green Bay and uh, Rogers' uh, <clears throat> unrest with the draft picks, they've still been able to go 13-3 and three the last two years, 26-6 and six combined. I know you liked them to go to the Super Bowl last year. When you look at the NFC landscape this year, is Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay the team to beat right now? Or do you think the Rams have tipped the scales with, with adding Matthew Stafford? I think you know the, the scary part about Tampa Bay is is they should they should be better next season. Um, you, you could see the growth, the development of that team uh, as Tom Brady became more comfortable in the system, uh, more comfortable uh, in the in the subtleties and the nuances of his teammates. Um, you know, playing on the outside, they played their best football. You know, the second half of the season and through the playoff run. Uh, so I would expect them, you know, to you know to be further down the road you know, this offseason than they were at the end of that season. They've got everybody signed and back, you know, to make another run at this thing. So um, I, I think you have to go with Tampa Bay as the team to beat. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Matthew Stafford does uh, in, in L.A. Um, you know, I, I, you look at Matthew's career, and, and, and he's been really on a team that's been kind of a defensive-minded approach as their head coach the majority of his career. When you go back and look at, you know, Rod Marinelli to Jim Schwartz uh, to, to uh, the, the head coaches that he's had, that's a different philosophy. It's a different mentality. It's a different approach of how you're going you're gonna to play the game. It's much different than the way that he's going to see with Sean McVay. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what Matthew does out there. I, obviously, he can still throw the football. He can still play the game at a high level. Uh, and, and now he's going to have, you know, the skill players around him. Uh, he's going to have a, a mindset and a mentality from an offensive-minded head coach uh, that, that will be more aggress- aggressive with his play calling and decision-making. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see, you know, what, what happens out there in L.A. But the, the, the tough part for the Rams is, is they're in, you know, the, the toughest division in the NFL. Uh, you know, the, the NFC West is going to be brutal next year. Uh, I think we all thought it was going to be this year, and, and for other reasons, it didn't pan out uh, maybe as everybody expected. But but I think we're going to see in 2021 what we thought the NFC West was going to be in 2020. Um, you know, it's going to be uh, you know a case of attrition out there. Who can stay healthy? Who can who can keep their team together as, as you get near the playoffs? But uh, I, I do think that uh, that everybody will be gunning for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you know, bringing that that starting lineups on both sides of the ball back. Uh, you know, almost in, intact and, and adding some depth. Uh, you know, in the draft, uh, I, and, and Tom Brady in season two uh, with Bruce Arians and that offense. I, I think there's just going to. I think they're going to be a better team than they were at the finish of last season, and that that says a lot when you're talking about a team that uh, that that really kind of gave uh, gave the Chiefs a lot of problems in that Super Bowl. You're absolutely right about that, Daryl. Want to ask you one question, of course, about the Dallas Cowboys, in, decimated by injuries last year. Offensive talent is immense, but they're missing one thing that you guys had—a great fullback. You and to me, Lorenzo Neal defined the position. Teams have gone away from that. I think it would help Ezekiel Elliott immensely if they implemented a fullback. When you look at the game today, are you a little bit frustrated? You don't see teams like Dallas, who have a great tailback and a great offensive line, make use of a guy that's a road a grader in front of them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I understand the way the game has changed. Uh, you know, I'm a big Lorenzo Neal fan as well. Sam Gash. Uh, you know, th- th- there were good players 
you know, they, they came in, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but the game started to slide at that point, and it became more perimeter-based. Uh, the matchups were, were being generated, you know, on the outside with the right wide receiver positions uh, as we got into more, you know, three and four wide receiver sets. Um, you know, kind of the emergence of the tight end position, too. Uh, you know, that, that, that was another area that kind of hit the fullback spot. Um, you know, these, these very unique guys, uh, athletic ability, you know, playing that tight end position, you know, excited to see what Kyle Pitts does in Atlanta uh, when you talk about that type of athleticism. So it was just, it was kind of hard for the fullback to find that position. Um, you know, it, it, it's a completely matchup based game. Uh, you, you're getting better matchups uh, as you move down the ladder outside. So it's really a question of finding those fullbacks that, that are similar to a Kyle use check that, that can break formation and, uh, you know, create a matchup situation in the passing game on the outside, be very versatile uh, in, in how you use him throughout the formation. Uh, you can see why Kyle Shanahan wanted him so much because he's a perfect fit for that offense out in San Francisco. I want to thank Daryl Moose Johnson, three-time Super Bowl champion of the Dallas Cowboys. You can find him in on Fox Sports every Sunday and also part of that great draft that shaped the 89 Cowboys moving forward with Troy Aikman and, of course, Mark Stepnowski. Daryl Johnson, thank you so much. You got it, guys. Take care. Thanks, Moose. When we come back, we're going to go behind the bets. Let's see what the Palm Reader's cooking up. nuts we're going behind the bets here mike palm i know your guy ryu's pitching today in oakland tough to follow up on means yesterday but uh yeah ryu comes off the disabled list here and he's going to go for the the jays tonight against um this afternoon against oakland i'm really this is a a much a play about ryu as it is against fires you know fires was on the dl to start the season then he was in the bullpen for the first couple of weeks he made his first start friday night against the Orioles. i didn't think he looked very good gave up two home runs in six inning only three strikeouts that's concerning for a guy like Mike Fires with a big curveball and a guy that can throw in the mid-90s to only have three strikeouts. So obviously his stuff's not back there. I laid 130 with Ryu, first five here. Ryu has been pretty good at the ERA under three and the whip right around one. His one career start against Oakland, he went six innings, didn't give up a run. I like the Jays to split the series here. I don't want to mess with the bullpens. I think the Oakland bullpen, I give it a shade advantage over the Toronto bullpen. So we'll play this first five and lay 30 cents with Hung Jin Ryu. Yeah, he's been really tremendous once again for this Toronto Blue Jays team. Let's see if he can continue that trend in Oakland Day game there. You're seeing he's getting back to that ridiculous uh, strikeout walk rate. Remember in that year, yeah. two years ago for the Dodgers, his final season, he had 64 strikeouts and four walks for the first two months of the year and was really the leading Cy Young candidate until those two starts at Coors where he gave up seven to earn both times. Last year it wasn't near that. It was a little less than three to one. He's twenty six and three this year, so he's back up to about nine to one strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah, I'm going to go behind the bets with the Marlins and the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, and it's going to be Mad Bum on the mound. Mike, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying you may not have too many more opportunities to bet against Mad Bum. He has really turned it around. Last three starts, seventeen innings pitch, he has been tremendous, just giving up two earned runs during that time. 
Six hits and only two base on balls. Remember, he threw the seven-inning no-hitter no in Atlanta, yeah, so, but doesn't count as a no-hitter because it didn't go nine. I thought they just announced it officially did. It, oh, did it? Yeah. Well, that's good breaking news. Pujols, and now he's got a no-hitter. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's right. I, I thought I heard I, that the other day. Yeah. And, well, they've had no-hitters that yeah. have been previously shorter in duration. So uh, just something to pay attention to. But he seems like he's getting back on track. This game's got a total of seven and a half here. Lopez on the other side, if you look at it so far this year, he's gone 34 and two-thirds yeah. innings. But take away the four innings pitched in the one game where he had the bad start. Everything else, 30 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's got a .88 ERA. One rough outing. The other five has been sensational. And here's the other thing for me. The Marlins, in three of his six starts, have managed to score one run or less, getting shut out in two of those games, Mike. So to me, under 7.5 with two pitchers really trending in the right direction with two offenses right now not scoring at will. Yeah, he's pitched to no luck. Uh, you know, you got, if you have an ERA at two, three, and you haven't gotten a win yet in five starts, there's a problem there. And he's got Degromitis; they're not scoring any runs for him. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, you look at Lopez; it puts so much pressure on you when you're a starting pitcher to be able to go out there and hang up zeros every time when you know your offense just can't get it done. Uh, we'll see if this Marlins team can get on track against Madbum, who really he's now more of a crafty pitcher simply because the velocity is not there on the fastball. But I think he can still be effective and help this Arizona team. They have done a much better job this year than probably anticipated. I thought they'd be really awful. I thought they were they were going to be a team that would be 20, 25 games below 500. And so far, they've they've held their own in the NL West. I want to talk about an in-game opportunity right yeah. now for a game that you had a size of a wager on. The Yankees and, and Astros this morning. You played this game under 7.5 with McCullers and, McCullers and Cole. Yeah, you know, I like the way uh, McCullers has pitched. And, of course, Garrett Cole has been lights out for the New York Yankees in terms of what he's been able to do. And I thought he'd be able to continue that trend. He has given up a run. But the Bombers have hit a couple of homers so far in this one. And that's catapulted them to a 3-1 lead. I believe this game right now sitting in the top of the fourth inning. And for me, Mike, the one concern that I had, and I have this uh, tendency with certain matchups, to stay away uh, from totals usually, but I couldn't resist with Cole and McCullers on the mound in day games in New York in Oakland, simply because the ball tends to carry much better. Yeah, so they're in the top of the fifth. They yeah. just started at the okay, top the of the fifth. fifth. Three to one it sits right now. Are you looking at, from this perspective, in-game totals right now? Are you looking at pitch counts for your two starters to see how long you think Cole and McCullers are going to go in terms of if you want to try to get off this play? Yeah, McCullers right now at 73 pitches. I think he's probably going to go in there for one more inning. They'll see if they can salvage that. But my concern right now with Cole is he's at about 65, 66 pitches. Uh, he's a guy that you know then take the ball and go seven to eight innings. Can he do that today? If he can do that, then I think there's a great opportunity for the Yankees to be able to win this one and stay under the total of seven and a half. Mike, the fact that it was seven and a hook made a difference, in my opinion, in terms of this one. And the first five went from four to three and a half. Yeah, and you would have lost it if you'd have played the first five like I do here because of four runs. Yeah, and the, you know, look, I, I do like when you take the four sometimes as a push number, but my problem with it is you're basically in essence saying, hey, they're going to hold them to three runs or less. That becomes difficult, whereas with the full game at seven and a half, I think you, four or three is such a, a probable situation occurring. You give yourself more opportunities for one aberrant inning not to beat you when you do play the whole game. That, that's exactly I, mm. I just don't want that one inning to beat me. When we come back, we're going to stay on the baseball theme. The American League Central, Mike Palm, telling me how the Royals are going to win that division. How are they looking now? Well, maybe you can answer that question when we come back.
The NHL and NBA playoff races are in high gear, and our experts are covering every angle to find betting edges as the regular season winds down. VSIN hockey expert Andy McNeil is tracking all the NHL action, and our senior NBA analyst Jonathan Von Tobel has all the hoops insights. Every night they are looking at the teams who are tanking and which squads are playing to save their season to find the best bets on the board. Our experts and the entire VSIN team give you all the tools to make the most of every bet, including our 24-7 video coverage, odds and analysis for every game on vsin.com, our daily members-only best bet emails where you can find a Molinized plays that happened before the nuts airs, and in-depth coverage of every major event and point spread weekly. That's our digital weekly magazine every Wednesday. Now is the time to cash in on the push to the playoffs. Sign up for your 10-day free trial at vsin.com slash subscribe. Andy considered an expert because he lives in Canada? Among other things. Oh, okay. People are betting for him as well. I wasn't sure of that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, let's go back to Major League Baseball. Let's go to the American League Central, Mike. Your Kansas City Royals, 35-1 to to win the division. How are they looking now after the Tribe goes in there and brings out the broom? Well, Amal, I pointed out that several of the baseball analysts that had been on the network liked Kansas City to win the Central this year. That's what I pointed out to you. I didn't endorse the play, but I thought it was interesting at 40-1. to 1. I felt, and I you, felt like you, you had an overwhelming emphasis on the statement. But you really poo-pooed the play. You thought, you thought it was maybe the word ludicrous. Well, Mike, you know what happens to people who finish second to 30th in Major League Baseball? Mm-hmm. They lost. It's the same thing as the team that finishes outside of the postseason. It doesn't make a difference. Either you win or you don't. That's what makes sports great. If you had bet the Royals... Yes. As I'm sure some of our viewers have, at 40 to 1 before the season started, would you be highly disappointed where they sit right now? I'm not, but just the way you were talking about them and then the way they had gotten off to a start, I thought this was a great opportunity to really put some distance between themselves and the Indians. And it wasn't that they, not only they lost this series, but it was the way they played. They Every blew, game they blew a lead. Exactly. Every that's game, my, multiple run point. leads. That's exactly my point. You can't do that. Gut wrenching to do that to a team. You yes, know, but, I didn't. I didn't speak of Kansas City like they were the Los Angeles Rams. You know what I mean? I just said they're an interesting choice at forty to one. Well, let's talk about a team that you spoke of that is similar to the Los Angeles Rams, and they reside in Los Angeles, playing at Chavez Ravine. The Los Angeles Dodgers. This team is not quite what everyone anticipated before the season started. I'm calling Mr. Gale, Mr. Martingale. It's over. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. Follow on. If I wouldn't have done this Dodger Martingale last night, we'd have 12 in a row because we went 4 and 1 in the playbook yesterday. But of course, the Dodgers choked off three different leads last night. The bullpen's been awful. They keep trotting out Kenley Jensen out there. I don't know what they're going to do. They ought to put May in as the closer. They blow multiple run leads. Well, I talked about this team like they're going to win 117 games. They're 17 and 15. They're what are they? Four and thirteen in their last seventeen games. Yeah, really incredible. Sure. It's going to be tough for uh, Dustin May though. He won't be pitching probably until sometime next year with Tommy John surgery. This Dodgers team really in trouble right now. In third place in the National League West, the Giants at eighteen and thirteen. Mm. Padres eighteen and fourteen. How about the Diamondbacks we mentioned earlier? Only two games behind the Dodgers in the loss. Excuse me, in the win column at seventeen and fifteen for LA and fifteen and fifteen for the D-backs. Do you think there's really any other team going to win the division than the Dodgers though? Would you I make really, a bet on the Padres right now? 
I, you know what? The Padres, I think, if you look at it, depending on what the odds are currently sitting at, they have a chance because they're starting pitching. Hugh Darvish has mm-hmm. been lights out. I think this is a team, from a pitching perspective, can be there. The one thing that bodes well for the Giants, they will make acquisitions before the trade deadline to be able to make a move. Dodgers minus 435, Padres plus 280. Giants still 22-1. to 1. I still think that's one you got to take a shot at. Because I look at market size on teams who are going to go acquire players. If you've got a chance and you're the Giants and you think, hey, things are going well enough and there's a couple of guys available at the trade deadline, you would look to go get them if you genuinely believe you can make a push or you're high enough yeah. in the standings. But I think the Giants are a bet of either going to make the playoffs. I don't think it's reasonable to think they're going to win the division and overcome the Dodgers and the Padres. If you bet Darvish, as we suggested, at 20-1 to 1 to win the Cy Young yesterday, um, he didn't pitch poorly, but he, if he could have got one more out, he could have picked up the win there as they scored their runs in the bottom of the sixth. So an opportunity to pick up a win against a Pittsburgh team that didn't happen last night. Yeah, that was a game you figured the Padres would find a way coming back off the loss. Um, well, I want to turn to the other Western division, the, the American League West Obviously, Oakland got off to the slow start. They were 1-7 and seven, and then came on, came on like gangbusters, winning 13 out of 14. Now sit six games above 500 at 19 and 13. Mariners have been a surprise, playing very well. Same record as the Dodgers. Pitching well at home. Uh, your Astros at 15 and 15. Angels, who cut Pujols, uh, releasing Pujols today, bring up last place in the division. Is this the Athletics division to win again? I, I believe it is. The way they're going right now. Now, Houston's a team that you would expect to be able to make a push. They still have immense amount of talent, so that's something to pay attention to. But the A's just find ways to win games, and that's one thing you have to keep in mind when you look at this Oakland team is that they're just resilient. Yeah, interesting. You can get the Astros at a plus price still, even with a three-game lead right now. I like Bob Melvin a lot. I'm glad they didn't make a rash decision when they went 1-7. and seven. They said he was on the hot seat. He'd be the first manager fired. I like their bullpen. Solid starting pitching. Um, I still think the the at some point these Astros are going to make a run, and uh, they're just too good not to. I'm not sure who wins this division, but it is the probably among the most wide open, uh, probably the second most wide open division. Astros and A's both the plus one twenty, Angels five to one, Mariners twenty five to one, despite their seventeen and fifteen record. Rangers at one hundred to one right now. Now let's flip to the other side of the American League, the East. The team obviously you bet today the under with uh, Garrett Cole and the Yankees. Boston Red Sox, uh, Boston Red Sox, Evoldi going today against the Tigers. Uh, they lead the division. Yankees have, from one point being last in the division, have pulled themselves up to second, game and a half behind the Red Sox. I still think the Red Sox are interesting because we don't know what we're going to get from Sale when he comes back. I agree with you. When you look at the Boston Red Sox right now at 18-13, and 13, leading the division, game and a half ahead of the Yankees, who currently lead this game against the Houston Astros, 3-1 to one in the bottom of the fifth. Uh, you know New York's going to be dangerous. Uh, Tampa's sitting right there at 17 and 15. I think Boston, again, I talked about the Giants and Padres potentially making an acquisition just like the Dodgers. The Red Sox should be players at the trade deadline in terms of making a push uh, for the postseason and beyond. Yeah, I do. I think, and I, you know, as much as we talk about uh, talk about the, J- the Jays being on the road all year and the challenge that that presents, I still think they're an interesting team. Uh, I'm not sold on the Rays. I, I like Kevin Cash, but they just don't hit consistently enough for me to think that over the course of the long season, they're going to win enough games to, to win this division. I tend to agree with you in the sense that D- Tampa, I just don't believe they're consistent enough offensively. Uh, we'll see if they can do something down the stretch uh, regarding the season. By the way, I got a text from a friend of mine, Jim, who's a huge Dodger fan. He says, 2017 Dodgers lost 19 out of 21 games during one stretch, but still won 104 games. So, uh, I mean, this team is still very dangerous, and I think that's the point you were making. Well, they're not healthy, right? Yeah. I mean, their lineup is decimated. These guys that they got hitting 6, 7, and 8, a lot of them you've never heard of. This is the first time. 
this year. And then we'll have to see. I, I'm worried about Kershaw here. Obviously, the one inning was the shortest start of his career at, at Wrigley uh, Tuesday morning. Quickly, team that you think is a dog that can make a real push either league to get to the postseason and go to the World Series. I mean, just a long shot. Now, I still think the Indians, because of their starting pitching, are interesting. Like that one. Behind the bats, Palm Reader was outstanding yesterday. What does he have on tap today? That's next. Exclusive bets, daily specials, odds boost, and the largest offer of live in-play options. Bet River Sportsbook is the industry leader when it comes to online sports betting. And to make your experience even more rewarding, Bet Rivers offers the most live streams of major sports, instant payouts, and only one-time playthrough. Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. Offer valid in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Available at PlaySugarHouse.com in New Jersey. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Indiana, 109 with it. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Welcome back into the show. Let's get into the Palm Reader's playbook. I don't know if we have a graphical error, but I only saw one game listed for you. Well, Amal, I don't just bet every game on the board. I look for a game where I think there's a clear advantage with the line. You know, sometimes the best bet you make is the best the bet you don't make. All you right, know, so you I, actually listen to me sometimes. I like huh? to be a discerning better. Now, rumor is, back in the control room, there was some scuttlebutt that you've got a week's worth of plays today, but we'll get into that. This was what we talked about behind the bets. I like this matchup, Ryu versus Fires. I'm really fading Fires as much as I'm backing Ryu here. On the positive side for Ryu, one career start against the A's, six shutout innings, coming off the DL. He's been decent this year. He's got that uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio up to about nine again, like it was two years ago for the Dodgers. So those are positive things. The other thing is Fires. On the DL, weren't sure when we were going to get him. Came back. They put him in the pen. He made his first start Friday night against uh, Baltimore in uh, in Oakland, and uh, he wasn't that sharp. He did go six, but only three strikeouts, two walks, and he did give up two home runs um, in allowing three runs. So I'm going to fade Fires here, and I'm going to play this game first five of them all. We'll lay 30 cents. The reason is I feel the Oakland bullpen is superior to the Jays' bullpen, so I want to take them out of there. Plus, Ryu hasn't gone beyond five to him. He's only gone beyond, he's only gotten into the sixth and two starts this year. Uh, and so I want to take that out of the equation. Let him get through five. Let's have a little bit of a lead and cash a ticket. You know, and to your point, when you look at Ryu this year in terms of what he's been able to do, you take away that one game. He had a rough start against Boston at mm-hmm. Fenway, not the easiest place to pitch. In the other 22 and two-thirds innings pitch, Mike, he's only given up four earned runs, so he has been tremendous overall in terms of what he's been able to do for Toronto, which gives him about a 1.59 ERA during that other stretch. He's beaten the Yankees twice, once on opening day and then once again in their return trip to wherever they play. Yeah, let's see if you can find that consistency. Fires, you alluded to, has not had a lot of warm-up opportunities because, remember, didn't pitch in spring training, comes back injured. Now he's coming back into the mix. This is a Toronto team. If it gets going offensively, they could really present a challenge. And one thing to keep in mind about the Blue Jays, remember, effective June 1st, they're going to be playing in Buffalo. It's going to change the dynamics. You'll want to pay attention if you're betting totals involving the Blue Jays or if you get involved with run lines with them. Remember, they are no longer going to be in Dundee. Uh, 
what is it? Where are they? Dundee or what is it? Dundee, Dundee, uh, Florida. There, so mm-hmm. uh, they'll be on their way back to Buffalo. Unfortunately, can't cross the border yet. So pay attention to that. Uh, let's go to the all-in here, Mike. This kind you of won look- yesterday. You had a solid winner. Yeah. With the champions under two nothing, it finished there. Just had to make sure that Madrid didn't give up three goals. Yeah, exactly, they, they, they weren't scoring against Chelsea. Well, it was amazing how lifeless they looked. They I, did. I, look. I was really surprised. Listless. Yeah. I listless. Mean, well, Franz they, listless. Yeah. Zinedine Zidane's <laughs> team was not playing like France in 2000 in Paris at the World Cup final. But uh, today, got a game in progress right now. Yankees and Astros under seven and a half here. I took this game. And you look at it right now, Cole uh, facing uh, the Astros in the top of the sixth inning. They have a runner on. So let's see if he can make some moves here and get out of this. Uh, I don't feel that Houston's offense is going to be able to really put up a few more runs, but I'm concerned on the flip side. Can the Astros slow down the Yankees enough because they've had a couple of long balls already? Well, the good thing for you here is that the home team's ahead. So hopefully we eliminate the bottom of the ninth. That's a great point there. Marlins and D-backs, you and I talked about this in Behind the Bets about 15, 20 minutes ago, and you and I both looked towards this game on the under 7.5. The way Lopez has pitched, the lack of offense for the Marlins when he's on the bump, and then Bumgarner, his last three starts has been terrific, including that no-hitter which you alluded to. So let's see if they can continue that trend down in South Florida today as that one's under 7.5 minus 125. And then I'm going to go to the ice, Mike. Islanders taking on the Buffalo State, excuse me, the New Jersey Devils, and of course the Hurricanes taking on the Chicago Blackhawks in this one. I really like the uh, Islanders parlay here with the Hurricanes. I think both these teams should be able to find wins. I, I like this matchup. So you get the Isles at minus 250, Hurricanes at minus $3. The parlay comes out to minus 115 uh, if you take those two together. So I like their chances, both of them at home. Isles have lost two in a row. If the palm readers out there are yearning because they don't have enough plays and there's only uh, one play on the playbook here, I looked at this uh, first period under in the in the range, in the, excuse me, the Devils and the Islanders game. It's only 110. I thought it might be like 120. Uh, with Blackwood in goal and probably Varlamov, I believe, for the Islanders. So I lean under there. You you played it in the parlay. Um, I like your play on Carolina. I don't I don't know what else to put it with minus three dollars. But they're facing Dahlia for the Blackhawks. Carolina this close to clinching that very very tough Midwest division in there with Florida and Tampa Bay. Just an outstanding job by those guys. Best record in hockey right now. Yeah, absolutely right. And by the way, gambling problem called one eight hundred Gambler. With you giving a play, give them the night off. You got a day game well, here. I know. I mean, People first... might be they might be bored with just uh, they might be bored. Yeah, come for come two thirty. I might be done with Ryu after five innings. They're going to be looking for something in the four o'clock window. They can't wait till tomorrow. I'm sure you probably got nineteen plays you're frying up over there. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a base. It'll be a big show tomorrow. A lot of changes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> looking forward to you driving that bus. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, let's well, get NBA. We got. NBA, right? Let's go. I mean, we just talked about our recent senior analyst, Jonathan Von Tobel. We got a couple key matchups in the NBA tonight. I, I was about to mention it, but then you caught me right off the road. But, you know, I'm a guy with road well, rage, I'm, so I'd, I'd probably pull the piece on you. Your Brooklyn Nets are, <laughs> are taking on the Dallas Mavericks in Dallas tonight. We see the Nets as a three and a half point road favorite with a high total. I thought this to me looked like a high total. Uh, 234 here. Um, the the thing I have to say about Dallas is they're not that good at home. They've just been so wishy-washy around 500 all year. They are 17 and 15 now. When they played in Brooklyn, uh, obviously Brooklyn had a, had a hampered team, but the, the Mavs went rather easily back in February, 115 to 98. Harden will not play tonight for the Nets. Porzingis not play for Dallas. Yeah, these are a couple of guys we know that have been out of the lineup here for both teams. But the thing for me is when you look at Brooklyn right now, two games behind Philadelphia, are they going to make that push? Six games remaining. It's going to be difficult, in essence, to be able to make that uh, ground up at this stage. 
They've lost three in a row. And when you look at the schedule down the stretch, you still are at the Nuggets. So this is going to be a tough road trip right now. Now, they do close out with some manageable wins, uh, games that they can get. And I think to your point about Dallas struggling at home, this is a game if you're Brooklyn, you should be able to get. But I would look towards the Mavs at home here catching three and a half. I was really impressed. I was on the wrong side of that game against Miami. Uh, Dallas goes on the road, and they win that game, and I think the Mavericks win this one as well here at home, getting points, though. Mavericks really currently tied for fifth. They own the tiebreaker right now with the Lakers. Is it How important is the seeding in the West if you want to try to really avoid the Clippers in the first round? Well, I think it's important. I mean, you don't want to play the Clippers. I think this is a team that's going to be much better, a lot more experience with Kawhi Leonard there. When you look at Utah, Phoenix in the standings, and Denver in front of them, I would think you'd rather take your chances with one of those three teams than you would these other teams. However, the problem is if you fall into that 7 through 10, remember you're in the play-in situation, Portland right there on the heels of the Lakers, Lakers right on the heels of the Dallas Mavericks. So lots of jockeying in terms of where teams are going to wind up. All the other teams in the West hoping the Lakers and Clippers meet in the first round either as a 4-5 or 3-6? I think that would be huge because (laughs) if you're holding a futures ticket on the Utah Jazz, Phoenix Suns, Denver Nuggets, or anyone else that's not the Clippers or the Lakers, you really have to like your chances of saying, hey, we just have to take one series because if they don't wind up in that 3-6 situation, then you've got to play these two teams uh, individually and it becomes much more difficult. You're hoping one takes out the other. Speaking of the Lakers and the Clippers, they do meet meet tonight at Staples. Um, I was a little surprised when I saw this number. I know there's still no LeBron. They're catching eight? Eight from the Clippers here in this game. Now, they played earlier in April on the 4th. Clippers dominated, held the Lakers to 86 points. That was without AD as well, 104 to 86. No Serge Ibaka for the Clippers, and as I said, LeBron's still out. Yeah, LeBron's still out. Dennis Schroeder out with COVID. That's a big blow. I think Schroeder's an underrated guy. Tremendous quickness in terms of his ability to dribble, penetrate. AD's going to be a game-time decision in this one for the Lakers. That's going to be obviously important. Uh, Of course, KCP, Caldwell-Pope, another game-time decision. Kuzma also with the thumb issue is going to be a game-time decision. Look, it's going to be easier to figure out who's playing for the Lakers than who's potentially not playing. I think if you're looking at this game, you take a look at the Clippers. How important is this game from a standings perspective? That's one thing you have to ask yourself for both of these teams, and I think that's something that comes into play when you look at it. Clippers right now tied with Denver uh, in terms of the three seed. You'd like to get that home court advantage if you're the Clippers over Denver in case you guys meet up in the conference finals potentially, but I think if you're the Lakers, you you want to win this game in the sense that you want to fall out of the sixth seed if you were to wind up with the Clippers. That helps them immensely moving forward. So I, I'm not a believer in this Clippers team as much as some other people are. I think they win this game tonight. But I, are you a believer in the Clippers in terms of coming out of the West? Yes. Wow. Yes, I believe the Clippers will come out of the West. I well, do. Um, because I don't think the Lakers are going to be healthy. And I just have to see the Jazz and the Suns prove it. Now, maybe I'm wrong on the Nuggets. I mean, we kind of had the Nuggets flying under the radar all year. Maybe they're the team that will 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 be the biggest stumbling block for the Clippers, as they were last year. Well, the difference is there's no Jamal Murray. You yeah. know, Jamal Murray being out with the ACL injury has a huge impact. Looking at the Western Conference odds, Lakers plus 175, Clips plus 240, Jazz three and a quarter, Suns six and a half, and Nuggets 15 to one. I think it's Clippers 76ers in the finals. Interesting. Uh, I, I do think Philly's got a great chance because it looks like they're going to wind up as the one seed. Then you avoid Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Right. That you helps rest a lot. Rest Embiid. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either a short series with a, a weaker opponent. I want to I want to close on this, uh, Amal. We now know the champions' final is set. The two English teams will meet, Man City and Chelsea. Chelsea's been so good defensively. You were right again. They conceded no goals to Real Madrid yesterday. Are you surprised that Man City is a significant favorite in this game? I am not. They are a far superior team. When you look at it from a talent standpoint, this is the premier team at the club level 
internationally. It doesn't matter just domestically in terms of the Premier League in England, uh, whether you take the top team in La Liga, what have you. And it's obviously been proven in the Champions League, but any team globally, they are without question the best team. You see it right now. Man City minus 106 on the three-way. The draw is 240. And, of course, Chelsea plus 320. They're going to try and repeat what they did in Munich against Bayern. Maybe get to PKs. You're going to need a DDA Drogba type of moment in the 88th minute. And you can hoist the trophy one more time. But I think this is Manchester City's to lose. They should get the double with winning the Premier League and, of course, the Champions League. Does the total interest you with Chelsea being so good on the defensive side? I know you get the two and a half because you can't put a two on a Man City game. I, I would agree with you. Here's the problem, though. In the Champions League, it's a win at all costs. And at some point in time, if you move forward, you look at Gabriel Jesus, uh, Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne on a counterattack could be very precarious as well as the Blues have played all year defensively. And you get these quarters late, you pull the goalie and go with all the attackers. You know, they still that happens. I, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, what's exactly. there to lose? That's going to do it for us. Betting Across America is next.